0: absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.
1: This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder.
0: everybody and welcome to fruit loops season 2 episode 23 thank you so much for listening uh, fruit loops is a podcast Ooh. It is, yes A podcast (laughs) about true crimes committed by people of color And their victims That we do not hear or know much about Now contrary to popular belief Not all serial killers are white dudes (laughs) What? There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color And Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives And crimes of serial killers And true crimes committed by people of color And the victims That the media and entertainment commonly leave out Because the
1: news is racist racist allegedly and we are wendy and beth she's wendy i'm beth we're not journalists investigators or psychologists just a couple of gals interested in true crime also Mm -hmm. the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to Fruit Loops Pod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602 935 6294 and we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod.
0: That's right. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone. Or you can find online at cash.me slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. Um, new bonus episode is on the way. We also have some merch for sale on our website. If you cannot help monetarily, no big deal. You can always give us a five-star review on iTunes or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And also be sure to share our show with your friends. So who are we talking about today, Beth?
1: Today we are talking about Juan Vallejo Corona. A Mexican serial killer who was convicted of the murders of 25 migrant farm workers found buried in shallow graves in peach orchards along the Feather River in Sutter County, California, in 1971. The exact victim total, however, remains unknown. Mm, Well, I can't wait to get into it. But before then... How are you doing? I'm doing good. I uh, went to see Neil Patrick Harris at a book signing with my son this week, and it was really fun. Yeah, he's (laughs) writing uh, children's books. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I wasn't all that interested in the books, but I love him, and he Mm -hmm. was really entertaining. I'm a big Joss Whedon fan. I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel and Firefly, and Mm. Neil Patrick Harris was in his web series, um, which I don't know if you've heard of before, but it's a Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. No, not once have I heard of this, um, but I'll have to check it out. Shout out. It's one of my favorite things of all time, but uh, oh. full disclosure, it's a bunch of white people. <laughs> <laughs> but it is really, really funny. It's it's pretty short. It was written mm-hmm. during the writer's strike, um, oh, I don't know if you remember that.
0: Oh, I do. I never um, forgave Lost for succumbing to the writer strike. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so because uh, they couldn't really do anything, uh, Joss Whedon just made this show and uh, mm-hmm. got a bunch of friends of his to, to be in it. And uh, it was uh, on the web. It was a, mm-hmm. a web series. So it wasn't mm-hmm. on TV Um but it's it's a musical too. It's it's so fun.
0: <laughs> oh well, Neil Patrick Harris is. I agree, very entertaining and incredibly talented. Um, so uh, it sounds like this is going to have to be something that I'm going to need to check. Yeah, it. I think so. Doctor Verbal's Sing Along blog. Sing
1: Along Blog. Yeah, when you first start it, you're going to be like, "What? Am, what am <laughs> I watching? Why did <laughs> she recommend this to me?" But just keep uh-huh. watching.
0: Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, if it's a musical and it makes you laugh get me a front row seat yeah um well (laughs) i'm glad that you went and that you had a good old time at that at that neil patrick harris event um you deserve it you deserve good times in your life so congrats um (laughs) i don't have anything exciting to report um i um i got into my black mama bag this weekend and um i've always so my kids have different consistencies of hair my daughter's hair is really straight and my son's hair is very curly now again they're mixed race kids right your dad's right. very, very lily white. Um And uh, <laughs> I've always thought that I could do fun things with their hair, but they wouldn't let me until like this weekend. Like I, I basically snuck up on them and just started like braiding their hair. So I, um I don't know what changed, but, but they, they let me do it. So I did cornrows on my son's hair. Um, and oh, I didn't realize that I, I, I mean, I guess I instinctually I I had a feeling that I could do it. Um, I've just never tried it. Um, but I did. And my son's hair looks really, really dope. And, um, it's not perfect, but I'm trying to get my son to grow his hair out, grow long. He has, he has the most beautiful curls and he doesn't like to comb his hair. He doesn't like to take care of it and he's 6. I get it. Like he'd rather right. go like play with play with trucks and stuff. But yeah, um, what kid wants you know, to this...
1: brush their hair when they're 6? Exactly. <laughs> I know I always had tangled hair. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it probably wasn't fun getting your hair like brushed and stuff like that. And no. I I mean I get it that it's kind of painful when a comb is running through your hair and somebody's tugging at it, but um, you know, I, I really want my kids to be really proud of their hair. Um, it's like yeah. their crown. Um, and so I, I, get, I get really devastated cause my husband's like, eh, let's just cut it. And I'm like, how dare you? <laughs> like, I get so pissed when my <laughs> husband takes <laughs> my son to the barbershop. <laughs> I'm like, why did you do this to you? But so anyway, so um, I, I braided my ha- my son's hair. And so hopefully, um, I'll get better at it. And then it'll be a thing that, that he can, um, keep his hair, you know, growing and long one of, and welcome to culture corner. Um, <laughs> with Wendy and Beth <laughs> on black hair. Um, um, Sitting in between your mother's legs or your grandmother's legs or an auntie's legs and having them braid your hair is a really intimate, special time, and so I'm really glad that I am getting that now with my kids. So I, I yeah, that's awesome. I didn't, yeah, I didn't appreciate it when I was a kid, but obviously it stuck. I've, I learned a lot from it, and in it, it, I was able to um, transmit that. That yeah, and kids.
1: since you so, want to do it. uh, it sounds like it it must have been some kind of a comfort to you.
0: Yeah, it really, it really was a a comfort. Like um, there was a scene in, I think it was how to get away with murder and, you know, created by Shonda Rhimes with Viola Davis. And there was an, an iconic scene where Viola Davis's mom, she's an adult and sitting in between her mom's legs and her mom is, is, Braiding her natural hair, and I just, oh, it was. I just, it was so visceral for me. Um, and so, I, I just, it just, it it is a really meaningful, special, um, tradition. And so, I just like feel really giddy inside that I got to do it to my kids. So that's awesome. (laughs) I put, yeah, yeah, I put little pink barrettes Mm. in my daughter's hair. And anyway, so my son sleeping with his little little do rag on the night, wrapping his his braids. They're (laughs) nice in the morning. So So anyway. (laughs) <laughs> so now we are gonna get into our mail bag and there it's are the, the angels. angels they are delivering mail from upon high <laughs> hello angels oh well thank you let me open this first letter here uh so this came from sparkles v brennan on facebook and she recently posted a fly-ass picture of her um in some fruit loops merch so yeah. uh thank you for getting our merch
1: and, Yeah. Uh, it looks it awesome. It did
0: look really awesome. So her and I went back and forth, um, had, had got into a, a conversation on Facebook, um, and uh, like she went to high school in Spokane, like I did, Spokane, Washington, and we t- talked about how racist Spokane is. Um, she said, <laughs> hey, Wendy, I grew up in Spokane, too. You're entirely right about it being too white and kind of trashy. I also went to high school in Spokane, and I can only wonder which high school you went to. I'm just going to put it out there. I went to Joel E. Ferris High School, home of the Saxons. That's right, Anglo-Saxons. <laughs> it was our mascot. So that was that was great and I hated every second of it. Um I love how woke you and Beth are, she said. Beth, you are such a good example for white people. You're always open-minded and you try to be as inoffensive and inclusive as possible and that's just refreshing. I'll oh, that's agree. So
1: nice. Yes, we should
0: all try <laughs> That's to be like so you. Nice. Hashtag Thank you. <laughs> yes, be like Beth, everybody. Um, anyway, <laughs> love your podcast to pieces. You ladies, keep doing what you' doing. Heart emoji. She said, I'm listening to part one of your DC sniper episode now. And I also lived in Bellingham, Washington. It's crazy wow. to me that no one. Yeah. Yeah. So she's she's been all over the state. Uh, it's yeah. crazy to me. She said that uh, no one ever talked about these guys, the DC snipers, yeah. especially considering nothing else happens in that city. So hip hop, yeah, air horns crap. to my girls, sparkles, <laughs> woo, woo, woo. <laughs> and uh, again, again, hashtag be like Beth. Um, Beth Beth also teaches me a lot personally. Like there are things that I may not understand as a woman of color, right? So for example, like Beth and I went to lunch this week and I was telling her all these examples of what I thought was trash ass caucasity. But it turns out, I mean, Beth set me straight. She was like, these white people just probably really don't know that they're swimming in the caucasity pool. So it's our job as people like Wendy and Beth and Fruit Loops Pod to, like, let them know in a kind and loving way, of course. So Yes, yes. Yes. So what do you <laughs>
1: So you you teach me a ton too. <laughs> Cuz as a white person, I don't always see that I'm swimming in the Caucasian pool. <laughs> I have learned so much talking to you and doing this podcast, which is why, you know, when you were talking about the particular women that we were talking about, I'm like, I, I don't think they get it. <laughs> I don't yeah, think they yeah. understand. And-
0: Yeah, and if I hadn't heard you say that, I wouldn't have known. I would have thought that they were just bad people. (laughs) But they just didn't know. (laughs) So thank you, Beth. As always, this is just the best. So So now we're going to take a quick break, and we are going to get into the story when we come back. We would like to invite any listeners who have a business to advertise to do it with us for more information, please email us at fruitloopspod at gmail.com or check out our website at fruitloopspod.com. Okay, and we're back. <laughs> <laughs> so who's our subject today, Beth? We can't wait.
1: We are talking about Juan Vallejo Corona. He was a labor contractor who hired migrant workers to work produce fields in California. Um, And in a murder spree lasting six weeks, he murdered 25 men and buried their machete-hacked bodies in the orchards owned by local farmers.
0: Oh, me, oh, my. Well, I'm going to need details. Good (laughs) thing this podcast is here. So first part, we're going to get into some stats. (laughs) Let me get the other hip hop mirror on. There we go. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Juan Corona, a.k.a. the Machete Murder Murderer, um, is one of California's most prolific serial killers. But you already know why we have not heard of him. It starts with the R and ends with the a Now, Corona was born <laughs> in 1934. He was uh, a Mexican-American serial killer. He was born in Mexico and immigrated to California um, later on in his life. He raped and murdered 25 men um, that we know of, but uh, the list is suspected to be a lot longer than that. Um, his crimes took place from 1960 to 1971. His method was a mixed bag of shooting, stabbing, and bludgeoning. His crimes took place in Yuba City, California, which is in Northern California, uh, and he was arrested in May of 1971. So now Beth is going to take us there by describing, helping us describe the city. Let's get into it.
1: Okay. (laughs) So the setting is Yuba City in the 1960s and 1970s. Um, Mm -hmm. And no one is like, I'm going to Yuba City for spring break. That's right. It's a very boring place. <laughs>
0: uh, um, so I grew up in Northern California and I, I knew people who went to college in Yuba City and, and they would never stay in Yuba City. They would either always go to Chico or like to San Jose to have fun. Um, right. But uh, which was easy to do because of the good old Bart train. But uh, the story goes that Yuba got its name from the Spaniards and Mexicans who were scouting the area and saw wild grapes growing in the river. Uh, The Spanish word for grape is uva, and sometimes in Spanish the letter V can sound like B, so uva, and then you get yuba. Um, Others claim that yuba was the tribal name of Maidu Indians who lived in the area, or we should say indigenous people who lived in the area.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if you know this, but the town of Ajo in Arizona got its name uh, in a similar manner. Yeah. Um, So Ajo in Spanish means garlic. But mm-hmm. that's not what the original word meant. Oh, it was an O'odom word for paint. The Tohono uh-huh. O'odham people, uh who are an in- indigenous people in the area, got red paint pigments from there. And the Spanish oh. heard it as ajo or garlic, and here we are. We got a town oh. called Garlic.
0: <laughs> okay, so so Europeans are not very good at hearing. <laughs>
1: True. true so okay. that, that sounds Got like it. garlic. I'm just gonna call it garlic. <laughs> I'm just gonna call it. Garlic. Oh,
0: okay.
1: <laughs> but oh, anyway, boy. Yuba. Go back to Yuba. Uh, it's 40 miles north of Sacramento, and in 1960, the population was 11 and a half thousand and in 1970 almost 14,000 yuba mm-hmm. city is home to the largest dried fruit processing plant in the world sunsweet growers incorporated and mm-hmm. in 1988 yuba city was the home to the california prune festival ooh
0: hip hop errands. hey <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i don't know why but this makes me think of do you remember the california raisins yes who would rap yes about reading books
1: yeah
0: <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> I don't know why I thought of that.
1: Anyway, <laughs> because of
0: dried fruit, dried fruit. That's right. <laughs> uh, also, at the end of Corona's spree, the Manson murders took place and the Zodiac killer was on some shit. <laughs> there is a significant LGBTQ element of this case. And at the time, sodomy, a term trash ass lawmakers used, was illegal in all 50 states. And uh, being gay was taboo to say the least. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to yeah. get into the killer's um or Corona's early life. So hit it, Beth.
1: <laughs> corona was born <laughs> in 1934 in Otlen, a rural population in the state of Jalisco, Mexico, on February 7th, 1934. Vallejo was one of his two surnames, as is custom in Mexico, but Juan went by Corona.
0: So... <clears throat> Uh, Welcome to the next installment of Culture Corner with Wendy and Beth. Uh, Mexican surnames or apellidos come from the surnames of a child's parents. The first apellido is the child's father's first surname and the second apellido is the mother's first surname. Uh, When a woman marries, she takes on her husband's second apellido but keeps her first apellido. So she never loses her First that, that that identity that connects her to her own family, and when you go to Mexico or anywhere in Central America, people will always ask you what is your surname to identify you so like when I went to Central America, everybody, every single person asked me that question, and then they all knew, oh, I know who your grandparents
1: are oh wow <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so when they ask uh, for your surname, do they mean the first apellido or the second
0: um I would give them both. I would give them my grandmother's, um, the, so the first surname, and then they. Would okay, go, oh. so you'd give them both. Yeah.
1: Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life. So it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps. But there's also BetterHelp online therapy. Now, we are huge advocates for mental health here at Freedom's oh, yeah. HQ. Oh, yes. And we have both used therapy
0: throughout our lives, including BetterHelp. And especially in these past several years, to help us deal with challenging times, mm-hmm. challenging thoughts, feelings, and experiences. Amen. Yes. And now I had a recent, you know, conversation with my therapist. She was saying sometimes it's just good to talk and get some perspective. You don't yeah. have to go to a therapist just because stuff is wrong. So
1: Right, right. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And some people get really anxious about that. So Oh, yes. And it is much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash fruit. That's betterhelp.com slash fruit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And
0: and then I would also, I would, I would give them, I would give them all the last names that I knew. <laughs> so then they would right, know. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So then they would know. Exactly you know, who, who you, you are.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 Which now that I'm thinking about like identity theft, maybe that's not a good idea anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, cuz they always ask, you know, on those security questions, what's your what's your mother's maiden name? I'm like, maiden name. Do that yeah. anymore? Oh wow.
1: Yeah, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> uh so Corona was the ninth of 10 children born to Sebastian Corona and his second wife Candida. He also had three older half-siblings from Sebastian's previous marriage. The eldest sibling was his half-brother, Natividad, who migrated to California in 1944.
0: During World War II, U.S. officials approached the Mexican Mm -hmm. government looking for a way to get temporary agricultural labor because of labor shortages due to the war, right? All the workers are gone. Mm -hmm. The Bracero Program was then created by executive order in 1942. With the Bracero Program, which... (laughs) Spanned from 1942 to 1964, Mexico supplied an estimated 4.5 million workers to the United States, peaking at almost
1: 450,000 workers per year during the late 1950s. The Bracero program grew out of a series of bilateral agreements between Mexico and the United States that allowed millions of Mexican men to come to the United States to work on short-term, primarily agricultural labor contracts. From 1942 to 1964, 4.6 million contracts were signed, with many individuals returning several times on different contracts, making it the largest U.S. contract labor program. In 1951, concerns about production and the U.S. entry into the Korean conflict led Congress to formalize the Bracero Program with Public Law 78. Isn't it
0: interesting how... um... It, uh history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it sure as shit yeah. rhymes. Um, what's her face? <laughs> uh uh Kirsten Nielsen, the homeland security lady, who is uh-huh. totally okay with locking up uh black and brown kids from South American countries in cages, resigned. Yeah, yeah. yeah I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> yeah,
1: so that's good news <laughs> um <Yeah. laughs> I don't think I... although she'll probably just be replaced by somebody just as bad or worse
0: oh no okay well uh thanks for popping my balloon you're,
1: you're welcome
0: <laughs> <laughs> well America's on the prayer list every day so um <clears throat> yeah the bracero program was controversial in its time Mexican nationals, desperate for work, were willing to take arduous jobs at wages scorned by most Americans. And it wasn't just Mexican nationals; it was it was uh, a lot of a lot of Central Americans who were um, doing this at this time. But farm workers already living in the United States worried that braceros would uh, compete for jobs and lower wages. In theory, the bracero program had safeguards to protect both Mexican and domestic workers.
1: For example, it guaranteed payment of at least the prevailing wage received by native workers, employment for at least three-fourths of the contract period, adequate sanitary and free housing, decent meals at reasonable prices, occupational insurance at the employer's expense, and free transportation back to Mexico at the end of the contract. But guess what? In practice, <laughs> they ignored many of these rules
0: and Mexican and native workers suffered while growers benefited from plentiful, cheap labor. This is kind Shocker. of a yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shocking. But when I was in college, um, I went actually went to like a migrant camp um, in a farming area um, with a bunch of other students in my program. And we got there at like 4 AM. Um, that's when the, the men working wake up and it's, it's mostly men at these camps. Um, and, uh, we saw where they ate, where they slept, um, where they gathered to wait for, um, people to pick them up and, and the word for the, like, uh, they call it el tren or the train. It's any vehicle that can take them to where they can go to, 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 to work um anyway it's uh really eye-opening um so they get picked up by like contractors and stuff like that or construction companies or building companies um who don't treat them very well like we will leave them right. leave them for dead um if they you know pass out in the feet like working um under really awful conditions um but it was really eye-opening and I, and I it's why i can't listen to the president or fox news when you know they say r- ridiculous things about these people who are just trying to work and survive um yeah because they truly have not examined all sides of the um immigration issue um and yeah. that's that's obvious in how they they conversate about talk it. about it um, so,
1: yeah. yeah yeah i agree
0: so now we're going to get into the timeline so i can't wait to hear what you have to say Beth.
1: In 1950, when he was 16, Corona dropped out of high school and immigrated to California, where he worked in farms in the Imperial and Sacramento Valleys. He also managed to attend night school to gain fluency in the English language. In May 1953, at his brother
0: Natividad's invitation, Corona settled in the Marysville, Yuba City area. On October 24th, he married a Sacramento native, Gabriela Hermosillo. The marriage fell apart after three months, in part due to his heavy drinking. Uh
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. In late December 1955, a flood in the Yuba and Feather Rivers broke a levee and flooded much of the Sacramento Valley, including large sections of Yuba City and Marysville. The flood killed a total of 38 people, many of whom were Mexican laborers drafted in an effort to fix the levy. Um, every time I hear about levees breaking and killing
0: b- black and brown people, I just, it happened then. It happened in Katrina. It's it, yep. it, it's, uh, its a weird it thing. I, yeah. yeah. I i mean, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say it's environmental genocide. <laughs> anyway, um, Go ahead, get at me. <laughs> anyway, the, <laughs> this event had a profound effect on Corona, who had always been afraid of water. He suffered a mental breakdown, coming to believe that everyone died and that he was seeing ghosts. On January 17th, 1956, Natividad had gr- Corona committed to a mental hospital in Auburn, California, where he was
1: diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. After receiving 23 shock treatments without anesthesia, In a period of three months, he was declared recovered and he went back to Mexico, but he returned later that year. In 1959, Corona married for a second time to Gloria Moreno and had four daughters with her. He had quit drinking and also intensified his devotion to the Roman Catholic Church. He joined the Cursilistas, a group trying to revive religion among chicanos he went to mass three times a week and said the rosary with his family every night yet he was known to be quick-tempered and a brooder
0: i'm sorry i don't want to put you on the spot what's a brooder
1: uh somebody who sits around and mopes and oh um, thinks about things like uh, kind of like a uh, angel and in, in uh <laughs> Buffy the Vampire oh, Slayer. The Vampire?
0: Oh, okay, 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 got gotcha. it. I was gonna gotcha. say
1: Angel in Angel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That was, by the way, one of my favorite
1: shows. Boy, is he dreamy.
0: Yeah. Um. <laughs> let's see. Have you ever done? Are you, I, I, I was not raised Catholic, but my mom was. My mom's Central American family, lots of uh, devout Catholics. So when I when I was at my grandmother's funeral, like in December. I'd never done the rosary before but have you ever it is so long it takes like 30 minutes
1: yeah <laughs> i um i have catholic no. uh people in my family um mm-hmm. well my dad's parents were catholic mm-hmm. um and then they got divorced and then his mom was kicked out of the church and so he was very my dad was very not catholic <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but i have a cousin Who's a priest? No, really. Yeah. And I have a lot cool. of Catholic uh, cousins and family members. And I went to one cousin's wedding and it was it took forever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> forever. it takes a
0: really long time. And I and after somebody dies in my culture, I don't know if this is a Catholic thing or, or a griffin thing, but for like every day for I think for 30 days, you're supposed to do the rosary after somebody dies, and I was like, I don't know if I can commit to this. Yeah, <laughs> this is a, this is a lot. This is nuts. Uh, so anyway, um, despite his violent <laughs> temper, his excessive interest in showing off his masculinity, <laughs> and his well-known issues with openly gay men, Corona was a trusted worker. Now, <clears throat> here's another installment of culture corner with wendy and beth let's talk about machismo (laughs) in the latinx world machismo is the sense of being manly and self-reliant the concept is associated with a strong sense of masculine pride an exaggerated sense of masculinity and i've heard people say like oh el es bien machista or you know meaning he's a he's a chauvinist asshole or, or like a system is machista um it is associated with a man's responsibility to provide for, protect, and defend his family. It can manifest in very unhealthy, dangerous, and damaging ways, including violence against women and homophobia. Interestingly, the term became famous during Corona's period of rape and murder during the women's liberation movement in the 60s and 70s. The term began to be used by Latinx American feminists to describe male aggression, violence, and toxic masculinity. The term was used by Latinx feminists and scholars to criticize the patriarchy Patriarchal structure of gendered relations in Latinx communities. Their goal was to describe a particular Latinx American brand of patriarchy.
1: Very interesting. Yeah, I thought so. You heard it here first. Free loops. In 1962, Corona became a licensed labor contractor, and it was his job to hire workers to staff the local fruit ranches. He recruited field hands from bars and other places where migrant workers gathered. His wife sometimes cooked for them, and his brother Natividad had become a bar owner. He owned and ran the Guadalajara Cafe in Marysville. Corona often frequented the cafe, although he'd quit drinking after his first marriage, so he didn't drink, and he rarely spoke to anyone. He just sat quietly and watched people. Kind of creepy. Creepy! <laughs> Awkward! <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: on February 25th, 1970, at 1 a.m., a young Mexican man, José Romero Raya, was Found injured in the restroom of the Guadalajara Cafe, Romero had been attacked in the face and head with a machete and nearly scalped. Natividad called the police, though Romero could not remember his attacker. By some reports, Corona was at the cafe and considered a suspect at the time.
1: Romero was permanently disfigured and suffered brain damage as a result of the attack. Since he didn't know who had attacked him, he filed a lawsuit against Natividad, alleging that he or his cafe had been responsible for the crime. And he actually won $250,000. But Mm -hmm. rather than paying, Natividad sold all his properties in California and moved back to Mexico. I saw this and I thought, he must not have had liability insurance. Because normally (laughs) that money doesn't
0: come out of your own pocket. It comes from the insurance company. Um, Yeah, he probably didn't. Yeah. Uh, Whoops. In March 1970, (laughs) (laughs) Corona spent a month in a mental hospital. The next year, with increasing mechanization hurting his business, he applied for welfare. When his application was denied, he flew into a rage. A welfare official recalled, in February 1971 in Sutter County, California, men started going missing.
1: Then on May 19th, 1971, Japanese-American farmer Goro Kajahiro found a large freshly dug hole in the Sutter County peach orchard that he owned. Kajahiro mm. asked his employees, all hired through Corona's connections, about the hole, but they knew nothing about it. At night, Kajihiro returned to the orchard and found the hole filled kajahiro called the sheriff on the morning
0: of may 20th several sheriff's deputies responded to kajahiro's call and proceeded to dig there they found a fresh corpse of a 40 year old homeless man kenneth whitaker whitaker had been stabbed to death and his head chopped open chopped open with mm. a machete. some reports say that he had also been
1: raped and that gay pornography was found in his back pocket it has been surmised by some people that the gay pornography could have been planted and intended as an accusation that the victim was gay and that Juan Corona, who is said to have been intensely homophobic, used accusations of gayness as an insult. By some reports, the murder was classified as a sex crime But the coroner did not look for signs of sexual assault and only performed a superficial examination.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess at the time, investigating sex crimes wasn't a thing. Like, maybe they didn't have an an SVU. Plus, it was a small town, so. Yeah, it was a small town. Yeah. Yeah. However, uh, an article written by Nancy Pasternak with the uh, Peel Democrat, I've never heard of that publication, but disputes the existence of both the rape and the (laughs) pornography, saying numerous websites have exaggerated the scope of sex related evidence in the Corona case. Current claims assert that Corona molested or raped all of his victims and that pornographic literature and photos were found with the bodies. Sex crimes never were part of the charges against the labor contractor. And former Sutter County Sheriff Roy Whittaker says claims about pornography being found with corpses is patently false. I don't know. In my head, Nancy sounds like a judge, That judge, um, not Shapiro. Who's that judge lady who spouts off at the mouth of Fox News?
1: Oh, I don't know. I don't watch that. I don't watch that crap. <laughs> I
0: don't watch that news. Fox News judge. <laughs> she's but she's just really uh she just she just
1: says just things off and
0: yeah. and expects them to be law uh because she's a right judge fox news uh, i'm a
1: judge you listen to me right now
0: yes Gen- judge janine Pirro. <laughs> janine Pirro. Jeanine Pirro. Oh, that's okay okay nancy's the name sounds right.
1: familiar yeah yeah anyway she's not all right (laughs) sorry (laughs) (laughs) that's all right (laughs) on may 24th workers driving a tractor at an adjoining ranch spotted another filled hole They also alerted the sheriff who dug up another male body and found yet another place where earth had been moved This contained a third body and a couple of pink slips that turned out to be receipts from a meat market, and they were signed by Corona on May 21st.
0: All three victims were drifters and farm workers who had been hacked and stabbed in the same manner, and a pickup truck resembling one belonging to Corona had been seen in the area at the time of the murders. Police also found two crumpled Bank of America deposit slips printed with Corona's name and address at the scene. (laughs) so now we're going to get into the investigation and arrest
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. It was a night like any other. We just
0: finished a live show of the podcast at Madison Square Garden. It was <laughs> nice to see Megan and Harry. You know, so nice of them to come. <laughs> then we told the pilot, hey, gas up the PJ. We out of here.
1: Wait, gas up the PJ? Megan and Harry? Shh. <laughs> Just go with it, okay? Okay, okay. So, Wendy, we gassed up the PJ, and then what? Well, (laughs) while we were on the PJ, that's private jet for regular folks. I was wondering. We
0: we were up in the clouds, scoring some quality time with Best
1: Fiends. It was incredible. And the good news is, I'm on level 393. Right on. (laughs) Yes, it sounds incredible. But if Mm -hmm. your head's in the clouds like Wendy in an imaginary (laughs) private jet with Megan and Harry, or your feet are firmly planted on the ground ground at work or in line at the grocery store. One thing is true. Best Fiends is just playing fun. Mm, It is true. Now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands
0: of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play.
1: There are dozens of unique fiends to collect, so you can customize your team of fiends to defeat the menacing slugs. I'm sorry, I was just looking at this funny text from (laughs) Harry.
0: Anyway, power up your favorite (laughs) fiends
1: to new levels for even more powerful skills and watch them transform as they get stronger. With Offline Play, Wendy's favorite, Mm -hmm. you'll never be stranded without fun, even if you lose your internet connection download your favorite getaway best fiends for free today on the app store or google play you'll even get five dollars worth of in-game rewards when you reach level five that's friends without the r best fiends Did you know one out of six couples
0: struggle with infertility, including old Whitey and me? Seriously, that is a staggering statistic that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to
1: have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. Good data and information about our bodies is crucial when it comes to our body autonomies, especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's why modern fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility
0: gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash fruit, you can get $20 off your test.
1: Also, and this is really cool, Mm. if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars towards Modern Fertility.
0: Wow, that's amazing! Now, if you want kids to Today, or in the future, never or are undecided.
1: It's important to have clinically sound information about your body, which can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash fruit. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash fruit. That's modernfertility.com slash fruit. Let's see what you got for us, Beth. Because the sheriff's office was reluctant to make an arrest before the real number of victims was known, they continued to search the area for graves. They found six more corpses in the same orchard, most of them hacked and stabbed, one shot. Many were buried with their pants down or with no pants at all. All of the men had
0: been buried face up with their arms stretched above their heads and their shirts pulled up over their faces. Some were buried with their pants pulled down as well. The victims had been murdered during a period of six weeks on average of one murder every 40 fucking hours.
1: Wow. That's nuts, man. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Corona mostly targeted male itinerant farm workers between the ages of 40 and 65 years old who had abandoned their families. Many were homeless, alcoholic, and slept in a park across the street from the Guadalajara Cafe. Because Mm -hmm. Corona denied committing the crimes and the workers were considered unreliable and they were not hired by Corona, who only worked with green card carrying Mexicans, it's unclear how he obtained his victims. They might have asked him for work or been lured with job offers by Corona. Fifteen
0: of the victims were found undressed in some way, but it is not known how or when it happened. In at least seven, the underwear of the victims had been pulled off or removed exposing the penis and genital area, which inferred that the crimes were sexually motivated. All the victims bore a deep puncture in their chests and
1: vicious machete slashes on their heads. One victim was also shot. Many who were conducting the searches on the Sullivan Ranch had very little experience at this kind of work. It was just a bunch of guys in a small-town sheriff's department with a case that would have challenged even the best of departments. And because there was no morgue, the bodies were taken to facilities at a local funeral home for identification and autopsies. Mm, Eventually, the wild. bodies were sent to a morgue in Sacramento. But yeah, they they were just kind of winging it. Yeah, winging doing it, the, doing the best <laughs> they could. I mean, yeah,
0: I I think events like this are probably impossible to foresee. But um, oh yeah, yeah. I mean it's, it's just too bad that the community wasn't um um not not solid but they, they just didn't have the resources to adequately um identify store investigate these yeah. Know, yeah bodies and crimes um yeah But for the first couple of weeks, the lack of morgue in the area meant that forensic pathologists had to do their work in the same place that the funeral director was trying to handle his regular client load. Identification was a particular problem because features had been distorted by decay or marred by wounds. And in addition, many of the victims who all were transients had long ago lost touch with their families.
1: And although many of the bodies had been found with their genitals exposed, I read in one article that it was difficult to tell what, if any, sexual activity had taken place. Most of the bodies were too far gone for anyone to tell if there had been a rape or not. It has also been alleged that the autopsies were not very thorough.
0: On May 26, 1971, deputies arrested Corona and searched his home, office, and car. Among the evidence found was an 18-inch machete. I have one too. I'm just kidding. A uh, blood-stained club, <laughs> knives, a pistol, and ammunition. Digging material, other receipts similar to those found at the scene, and a green ledger with 34 male names and
1: dates. Several of the names corresponded to identified bodies pulled from beneath the J.L. Sullivan Ranch in May and June of that year. And among the names was Jose Romero Rea, the man who had been attacked at the Guadalajara Cafe.
0: Bloodstains were also found in Corona's vehicle. As a result, the sheriff ordered aircraft to take infrared photographs of the area and locate more graves. By June 4th, the day of the search's conclusion, the number of known victims was 25. This was twice the body count of the Boston Strangler, the most prolific known American serial killer up to that point. Wow. There, there wasn't very much news about it, this guy.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and here are the victims' names because they matter. Mm-hmm. Sigurd M.L. Bierman, John Raggio Smallwood, Mark Beverly Shields, Joe Caravo, Raymond Riand Muchache, Kenneth Edward Whitaker, Melford Everett Sample, Charles Cleveland Fleming, John Joseph Haluka, Warren Jerome Kelly, Donald Dale Smith,
0: William Emery Camp, Albert J. T. Riley, Paul Buell Allen, Clarence Hawking, James Willie Howard, Edward Martin Cup, Albert Leon Hayes, John Henry Jackson, Lloyd Wallace Wenzel, and Joseph J. Magzak. And although 1,500 people contacted authorities to report missing relatives who could be one of the victims, four of the men have never
1: been identified.
0: So now we're going to get into Corona's trial. So what do you got, Beth?
1: Corona was initially provided with a public defender named Roy Vanden who hired several psychiatrists to evaluate his mental state. However, on June 14th, Vanden Heuvel was replaced by Richard Hawke, a private attorney who took up the case in exchange for exclusive literary and dramatic rights to Corona's life story and the legal proceedings. Hawke, who is trash, we'll learn later,
0: decided <laughs> not to plead innocence by reason of insanity, fired the psychiatrist, made no mention of Corona's schizophrenia, and called no witnesses. No witnesses for the defense of his client. The proceedings were delayed twice. Once because of Corona being hospitalized after suffering two consecutive heart attacks and another because of the abolition of the death penalty in California, which took place while the
1: trial was underway on February 18th, 1972. In several instances, the prosecution at Corona's trial proved that Corona had planned his murders in advance, digging graves days before he had any victim to put into them. Added to this was the presence of two bloodstained knives, a machete, a pistol, and bloody clothes in his home, along with a ledger in which Corona had listed the names of the victims and the dates of their murders.
0: Corona was found guilty of all charges on January 18, 1973, and sentenced to 25 consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. Corona was at first incarcerated at California Medical Facility in Vacaville because of the
1: heart irregularities he had experienced. In December 1973, he bumped into a fellow inmate in a corridor and apparently didn't say excuse me. Uh Several of that inmate's friends retaliated by stabbing Corona 32 times in his cell. Corona's left eye was removed during the resulting surgery, and Corona was then transferred to the correctional training facility in Soledad. In early January 1974, Corona's wife, Gloria, filed for divorce.
0: It was granted on July 30th. In 1978, Corona's conviction was overturned by a state appellate court. Uh, Corona, the court concluded, had been inadequately defended by attorney Richard Hawk
1: according to the decision hawk who was cited 19 times for contempt while acting as corona's attorney Mm. had made a farce and a mockery of procedure he had failed to call any witnesses as you mentioned uh to consider an insanity defense or present a formal case of any kind on his client's behalf um that's not good it has no. been
0: alleged that Hawk has been more interested in cashing in on a book about the case than he was about defending his client. Um, I, you know, I always, I always wonder it it must really be difficult to be a lawyer or a doctor. Like you, you have to take a case or you have to treat a patient no matter what, if your job is as right. a defense attorney, you might have to defend a, uh, an alleged rapist or an alleged murderer. Um, yeah. If you're a plaintiff attorney, you might have to, to pursue a case on somebody who is could be lying about their claims. You know what I mean? So, it's, yeah it, or a doctor it's, uh, has to take yeah. care
1: of everybody yeah yeah Regardless. even
0: even really bad people so murderers yeah yeah, mur- yeah. so uh, burden of proof published in 1973 and shortly after the first trial ended listed its author as Ed Cray, an attorney who assisted Hawk through the trial. And according to an Oakland Tribune article, it sold 20,000 copies. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs)
1: Epic fail. (laughs) At the time, Hawk was supposed to be defending Corona, says Sutter County District Attorney Carl Adams. He would have known that the book would be worth more if Corona was convicted than if he was acquitted. Mm. Hawk told an interviewer from the Oakland Tribune in late February of 1982 that he had become a born-again Christian and admitted that he had taken Corona's case because he wanted to be famous.
0: Okay. Well, uh, he told the truth, but... No consequences? <laughs> okay, no moving on. Uh, the <laughs> second trial was held in Hayward in Alameda County near San Francisco and lasted from February 22nd to September 20. 20- wow, that's the longest trial. 23rd, 1982. Corona's new attorney, Terrence Hallian, uh, called uh, 50 witnesses and attributed the murders to
1: Natividad, who earlier died in Mexico in 1973. do blame it on the dead guy. Yeah. Citing Romero's 1970 lawsuit, Halanen claimed that Natividad was a violent homosexual. Mm. Uh, a lot of articles that I read stated mm-hmm. that Natividad was gay or even aggressively homosexual. But I think they actually got that information from this trial and not from fact.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: the defense attorney claimed that Natividad committed the murders. So mm-hmm. take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Yeah. He he might have been gay. Um, and it's fine if he was, I don't care. But yeah. I don't know that he was for a fact. And it just shows the sloppy reporting on these kinds of crimes. Let's just say everyone's gay. That explains oh my everything. Gosh. Yes, <laughs> that is so trash. But you're right. It yeah, is, it, is, it really is. It is a move
0: in in the media bag.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. Um, but in any case, uh Corona reportedly did admit to a psychiatrist to one homosexual encounter uh to save his job, which okay. uh didn't explain what he meant by that, but that's what I read.
0: Okay uh this time the main witness for the prosecution was a mexican consulate employee who met corona in jail in 1978 while he was preparing his appeal according to him corona admitted to the killings stating in spanish yes i did it but i am a sick man and a sick man can't be judged by the same standards as other men halinan countered this claiming that corona had not actually said yes i did it but a hypothetical, if I did it, and I can see why he could use that argument. There's a really weird um, tense in Spanish. It's the um, subjunctive, subjunctive te- uh, tense, and it's it's sort of this iffy tense. I can see how they can argue that if I did it sounded like yes, I did it because if you are not an accurate, you're not you're not really well versed in the language. Um, you wouldn't see. You might uh, misunderstand. You you, yeah. yeah, you would totally misunderstand or mishear how that, he's not solidly defining that he did it. Um, it's just existing in this weird, te- weird, <laughs> like um, uh, pur- purgatory te- It's this weird purgatory tense. That it, and, and, and like I, I used to tutor Spanish. It was the hardest part to teach. And I'm not explaining wow. it very well, but there's, there's this weird tense that exists in the, Uh, in the past and in between the past and the present and it's sort of this in between i did it uh and i and and uh i'm going to do it so
1: anyway huh weird weird but yeah and and there is a lot of um uh, communication issues when you're talking to anybody um in a different language and you Mm -hmm. don't actually understand a lot about the language so yeah i I can totally see that too right right yeah So Halanon called Juan Corona to the stand, and Corona denied that he'd had anything to do with the killings in any way. The trial lasted seven months. The jury deliberated for 54 hours before again convicting him of the crimes on September 23rd, 1982. Okay. so afterward,
0: the foreman told the press that the most incriminating piece of evidence against Corona was his work ledger. Yeah. Yeah. For which the labor contractor had no reasonable explanation. He said uh, the jury had dismissed the defense contention that Natividad committed the murders. He wasn't in Marysville enough to have committed the bulk of the killings,
1: the foreman said. Corona maintained his innocence for years. Then, at a parole hearing on December 5th, 2011, he admitted to his crimes, apparently for the first time in a public forum. Asked if he knew why he was in prison, Mr. Corona replied, well, I commit all those those dead persons, 25.
0: Uh, Again, (laughs) language barrier. When asked asked why he had killed them, he gave a rambling answer in which he called the victims winos and creeps and had been trespassing it was the closest he ever came to saying why he did it prosecutors never offered a
1: motive Former Sutter County District Attorney Dave Teja says he suspects Corona killed at least 43 men. He claimed that resistance on the part of law enforcement authorities in nearby jurisdictions to allow for searches prevented a genuine accounting of victims. But there were bodies in Butte County, I'm positive, he said.
0: So now we're going to get into where are they now? Oh, I'll tell you. Juan Corona was transferred from correctional training facility in Soledad, Run State Prison in 1992 due to developing dementia. He served in the sensitive needs yard. He died of natural causes at the age of 85 on March 4th, 2019. Now, I saw one source that said he died in February. So I just wanted to put oh, that Oh, okay. He died this year, though. He died early this year. First quarter, 2019. <laughs>
1: So, uh, what do you think made him snap, Beth? Well, it's not entirely clear to me if these were sex crimes or hate crimes. Mm -hmm. Um, Some reports say that the victims were raped, but the one article said that sex crimes never were part of the charges, and that a sheriff said that the claims about gay pornography being found with the corpses were false. Uh, Plus, they didn't determine if the victims had been raped. So, I don't know. But he definitely had some animosity towards men. And he was, by all accounts, intensely homophobic. Mm -hmm. He did admit to a homosexual encounter to save his job. So maybe by that he he meant that he was sexually assaulted. And he might have had anger towards gay men for this reason. Or he could have been a closeted gay man with a sick mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the fact that he left many bodies unclothed with their genitals exposed indicates to me that it was a sex crime
0: mm-hmm. so
1: i kind of lean that way yeah. um and he did not mutilate that part of the body either oh, which you would point. think he might yes. do if uh-huh. he had a lot of anger towards someone who had sexually assaulted him uh-huh. and a machete, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. but right. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a psychologist.
0: Right. Uh, another
1: theory that was put forth in a book about this case is that uh, Corona was angry that these men, who are mostly white American men and alcoholics, were able to get money from the state when they were working through welfare, whereas their Mexican counterparts were unable to do the same, which, I don't know could possibly be part of it um he did reportedly fly into a rage when he was denied welfare but again i come back to the fact that many of the men were buried with no pants on um and they were posed like uh, a lot of serial killers do uh when they kill women they'll pose right. them right in a particular
0: egg for example yes <laughs> yeah yes
1: um so i don't know um Basically, he was really fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Somehow, <laughs> yeah, I don't
0: know, I don't. But know I we'll tend to think
1: know. it was a sex crime, but mm-hmm. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I, I am, I am leaning towards that. So he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Also, he was, if he was truly a gay man, it wouldn't have been acceptable in the time to be that way. Even though his brother, they yeah. say, was out, um, but perhaps he killed the men because he saw something in them that he had in himself that he wanted to get rid of. Um, uh, He called the victims um, in his confessions, winos and creeps. Um, But I don't necessarily buy that. Uh, Sometimes people who lean heavily into homophobia are wrestling with their own sexual identity and are insecure about it or even hiding it. Um, And that's, A struggle and that's difficult uh and i think that he um i just don't know if he knew what to do with those feelings um yeah or 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 that sense of that part of his identity and so um yeah you know i think that
1: yeah um, he may have been trying to obliterate it
0: Yes, that's that's, in, what, in that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Beth. See, <laughs> the OG of true crime comes through every time. <laughs> Now we are going to get into our takeaways. So I'll say that I believe that this was a very interesting case. Um, I think that Corona may have killed. Yeah, totally. More than 25 men, white men. And he's admitted to his crimes. It's like a very like shady, you know, roundabout way. But it's crazy (laughs) that he's like. He's like one of the top five serial killers in the fucking United States. And there are some podcasts out there about, you know, about this case who've covered him, but there's no movie. There's no Dateline episode. There's not much notoriety of who right. this killer is and who these victims were. I mean, the guy died a month or two ago and nothing. Uh, yeah, also, yeah. you know, he might have gotten away with it if no one ever stumbled on that grave in the in the peach farm. So, um, yeah. which is crazy because that's a lot of people yeah. to go
1: missing in a very short period of time. In a so, very short period of time. Yeah, yeah. very short. Um, And I had never heard of this guy before either. Even you? I had never heard of him. No. Whoa, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> and it's like you said, it's nuts how little media attention this case has gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's at least partially because the victims were men. Okay. And they were mostly transient and nobody um, cared. Mm-hmm the locals called them fruit tramps fruit so tramps. they didn't have much respect for them which is sad mm-hmm. um i also take issue with how this story is, has been reported over the years right um there's so much misinformation or mixed up information out there and just sloppy reporting
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, like i don't know if natividad was gay or not um okay so many articles reported that he was gay and that the Guadalajara cafe was basically a gay bar, um, which could be true. I don't know, but I didn't see any concrete proof of this. I mean, I Googled, I, I, I really tried to find out was, was the Guadalajara cafe a gay bar? I didn't see any mention of it, which you would think there would be something about it, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. Um, just, I I kind of feel like it was just allegations that were made in the second trial and that's it. And we all know, thanks to Jose Baez and Casey Anthony, that the defense can say pretty much anything that they want to in order to muddy the waters, Um, but it doesn't make it true. So I don't don't know. It, It was really confusing.
0: Well, I bet you that there's somebody out there listening to Fruit Loops uh, who who knows, you know, uh, more about this yeah. story and the people involved in yeah. the Guadalajara Cafe. Uh, so, yeah. Please, and if you, you do know, hit us up. Yeah. Yeah. Add us, add us on Twitter. Find us on Facebook. Find our discussion group and let us know what you thought of this case because um, we would love to know more if you know more. So, yeah. Um, now yeah. we're going to get into how not to get murdered. So. <clears throat> If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. But in my mind, this is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. So
0: we don't have any specific tips for this episode, but this week in the news, in Phoenix, a 10-year-old black girl was killed in her driveway uh, with her, her dad... Mom and sister in the car after a road rage incident, so the father oh, we don't know exactly what happened on the road, but we're assuming I don't like to assume, but there maybe the the father cut off this man in the white truck and and uh made this man in the white truck very angry, so the man in the white truck followed the black family home um That's and terrible. uh if you think that you are being followed yeah he filed he he fired a bunch of shots shot the dad um the mom and the big sister were not shot but the 10 year old girl was shot in the head looked at her dad and then leaned forward and died um Mm. so if you think that you are being followed never ever drive to your house or to your work yeah period Keep calm, um drive or walk to areas with a lot of people that are well lit. Um break out your phone and use your personal safety app like a Be Safe or a Canopy. Um KiteString is another app I just found out about. It's um a really good mobile tool. It's an SMS-based service that gives you a simple way to set up automated check-ins, alerting a friend, you know, like if you don't respond he- it'll alert them of your location. Um, as there's no app to download, it works only with SMS enabled mobile phones. So, um, you can also call the police. Um, that's not a black and brown person's first instinct. Um, but as a last resort, I might call the police. Um, if I'm (laughs) unable to lose the tail, I, I might, I might seriously consider calling them. So,
1: um, Yeah, I was thinking, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking, um, if you're near a police station, drive to the police station. But I don't know if you would feel comfortable doing that.
0: I, that would not be my first instinct, but... Uh, again, as a last resort, <laughs> I might seek <laughs> the Consider police yeah. for help, um, but but they're not my go-to because <laughs> um, <laughs> they might shoot me. Um, so uh, so that's w- w- the three things: canopy, kite string, and be safe. Awesome. So now we're going to get into some uh, serial killer and uh, crime news. So w- we took a big hit this week in uh, this last Sunday in hip hop and in the black and brown community. Nipsey Hussle he was murdered last Sunday, um, and uh, Nipsey Hussle was a father, a partner, a rapper, philanthropist, actor, uh, and activist. Um, this loss hit us all really hard in in our communities. Um, I mean, I even shed a tear, like (laughs) it was, um, it was unbelievable. So, um, anybody who grew up loving hip hop and who grew up around, you know, hip hop, um, this fe- felt this loss very hard. He was an incredible man who used. Uh, he used to run with gangs. Admittedly, he he knew he admitted he wasn't perfect, but he used his fame and his wealth to go to put back into his community of South L.A. and he invested in businesses there and real estate there. Uh, he wasn't flashy, you know. He he denounced chains and lots of cars and lots of women. Um, you know, and, and just wanted to put wealth back into his community. Um, he hired That's black awesome. and brown people. Yeah. Um, he hired ex-convicts, ex, ex-gang, um, people who, uh, were trying to get out of the, get out of the gangs to work in his businesses who couldn't get employed elsewhere. Um, he donated money to elementary schools in South LA. Um, he supported wow. young artists of color all over the country, including here in Phoenix. I have a friend, um, Antoinette Collie who's a, a, a Phoenix, um, artist she is a woman of color and she's fucking dope check out check her out on instagram antoinette collie um but like they met and she's done paintings of him um he was just doing so many great things for the community and he was shot six times in front of his store called um it was called marathon that's that's the name of his brand um the man that shot him was a 29 year old eric holder not the former attorney general (laughs) another guy (laughs) his his street name was actually shitty Oh yeah. wow, so that was a snitch. Uh, apropos, um, uh huh. Uh, so Nipsey loved so much. Um, he just loved his community, and he was loved so much that people are saying that Mr. Holder might not survive in jail or in prison. I mean, somebody right. might come after him. Um, Eric Holder was. It turned out he was hanging around the store, um, and uh he was a known snitch, and Nipsey politely asked him to leave and this young man's ego was so hurt so much that he left got a gun returned and shot nipsey and two of his boys it's a tragic story that's my news um but i also wanted to add there was a study recently that came out about what women fear most and what men fear most women fear violence physical violence most and you know what men fear but um humiliation hmm. <laughs> that's their biggest fear, so wow. I just thought it was that's, interesting, that's and this nuts. is this kind of supports that. So, uh, yeah. rest in rest in power, brother Nipsey Hussle, and to your family, we uh, are praying for you over here at Froot Loops. Um, we would like to move to the shout out portion of our show, where we shout out any content by people of color or about people of color or any true crime goodies. Um, so, I I've been talking a lot. <laughs> why don't you go first
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) i just wanted to shout out the ologies podcast in particular an episode called victimology which was suggested to us by our patron and facebook group member connie thanks connie Thanks, Connie. Uh, I really enjoyed this episode. Uh, The host discusses victimology, which is a criminology subset with victimologist Dr. Callie Renison of the University of Colorado. Rather than focusing on the pathology of killers, victimology focuses on the victims of crime, their experiences, vulnerability, survival rates, statistics, trauma, and recovery. Among oh, cool. other things, the two talk about historical changes of perspectives, gender's role in victimization, and how people of color and Native populations are at higher risk for violent victimization. So it oh, was well, really good, you. and I recommend listening to that. Okay, Oogles podcast. I, I jotted it
0: down, so I'm, uh, sure, I'll, ologies. I'm sure. Yes, Ologies. Ologies. Did I say oologies?
1: Sorry. O- you said o- oogles. <laughs> oogles. Sorry. I'm, I'm reading the good well. If you move ologies. the letters around, it, it kind of kind of spells oogles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you very, very much, Beth. Um, my shout-out is for Las Caras Lindas podcast. It's a podcast about Latin the la- Black Latinx perspective. Now they have not officially launched. I can't find them anywhere, and I messaged them like, where are you guys? guys um so far (laughs) so stay tuned for it but right now it's just a blog not just a blog it is a blog but there is really great content on it and um their instagram page is what turned me on to yashira yaya rivera who is um an afro-latinx female she's a host and blogger of the show when it comes out um, and she posted a video of Afro Peruana Victoria Santa Cruz. And I've seen this video before, but every time I do, my soul filleth up with joy. Um, <laughs> she recites this really dope-ass poem, it's all in Spanish, um, called Me Negra, which means she shouted at me Blackie or Black girl or Black woman. It's a beautiful poem because she's sort of turning around. They, they are calling me Blackie, but they don't seem to realize how dope I really am. And that, that, that is really a Mm -hmm. a compliment. Um, it's beautiful. Um, it, there's music and there's dance involved in her recitation of this poetry. Um, the video, you can find it anywhere on Instagram or YouTube. It it was filmed in the sixties in Peru. Um, it's in black and white, so if you have to have color in your video, maybe you won't like this, but uh her words are just <laughs> as tr- her words are just as true and powerful today as they were back then um I live in an intersection of being a woman, a black woman, an afro latinx person, a bisexual person um who just happened to fall in love with a dude but um the intersection of afro latinx isn't very well understood or discussed. Um, but we are out here in these streets every day <laughs> and we have experiences and things to say. So anytime I find content about, um, or by Afro Latinx people, I'm all over it. So check out Las Caras Lindas and also look up Victoria Santa Cruz. The video will give you life, especially if you're an Afro Latinx woman.
1: So, well, that sounds really interesting. I, I, uh, look forward to their podcast launching.
0: I look forward to it too. I hope, I hope it comes out. I hope they respond to my inquiry. (laughs) They said they were putting out a podcast, but I can't find it anywhere. So, and if you found it, tell me where to get it anyway. um, So Beth, oh man, parting is such (laughs) a sorrow. Where can the people find us
1: (laughs) until next time? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, until next time, our website is fruitloopspod.com, our Facebook page is FruitLoopsPod, Pod, and our discussion group is FruitLoopsPod Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at FruitLoopsPod, Pod, and links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign fruit loops pod or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. And we have merch on our website and you can check that out as well this will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting there's no minimum and no commitment even a dollar would help that's right this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every thursday so
0: until next time look alive guys it's crazy up there
1: killer podcasts and slow burn media production subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows
0: we are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things, from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do, so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to the Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way.